So as a result of, um, of your giving last week, just in the last week, so before Jessica leaves, um, I have a check for her for $300 that's going to help cover the event tonight. Some of you have already begun bringing thermals. We want you to continue to do that. If you're not able to go buy thermals, remember it's about uh, 50-50 men and women, small, medium, and large. And uh, if you can help provide that need, then bring those here. Uh, we'll have a table set up, and we'll get those to Jessica. If you would like to write a check, then we will deliver that as well so that thermals can be purchased. And we're hoping that we can continue a ministry with nations. We just thank you, Jessica, for your work and for what you took on to go do that. And no one ever knows uh, the amount of work that a person in Jessica's position does. No, they only see the very top um, of all of the work that she does. And so let's encourage her and pray for her as well. And if you would like to get involved in nations beyond what we're doing right now, then grab one of her cards and get in touch with her. I'm sure she doesn't have too many people to help. Um, so that would be a great opportunity for you to do that. I uh, also want to remind you, we, are also, we do have another giving project. We're hoping next week um, to possibly uh, Skype in the director of the mobile seminary. Uh, and so if we can do that, then we're going to hear some firsthand accounts. Um, we can't tell people <laughs> where the seminary is uh, for, for obvious reasons, but it's another great ministry that you can participate in that we help them get started this year, and we hope to help them continue in this next year as well. So those are some, some great opportunities. And then one last one I wanted to mention, which just was born out of the heart of Kathy Warren. Um, I don't know if you guys know Kathy. Is Kathy in here? I think she is somewhere. There she is. Raise your hand, Kathy. Look at her. She's hating me right now. Kathy had a heart to care for those that, uh, that didn't have enough food. And so she has started two different opportunities. One in her community, she is working on providing a, a little box that any community member can come to and get some non-perishable food if they don't have enough food to eat. And she brought us some as well. So we now have a food pantry. Uh, so if you or someone you know is in need of some food, then uh, we have some. And we would uh, just come and talk to me, and we're, we won't make a big deal about it, and uh, we'll, we'll help supply that. So I just want to thank Kathy for doing that. Again, the heart of generosity is the heart of a follower of Jesus. And so I'm just so excited about all the things that are happening in our community and the opportunity for us, a small church, to make an impact not only locally but around the world. So I just want to thank you for that. Um, I do want to continue our series this morning. Uh, called Hidden Christmas. And our candle today, I feel like, honestly, you don't need a sermon. Uh, I feel like you have gotten more than enough already, much more than I am about to give you. But there are a few things I want to share. And so, Ethan, I'm going to give you a heads up. We're gonna, I'm going to move through quickly. We're going to skip some slides. And uh, there's only a few things I want to share. I feel like we have already seen God's presence. We have already seen what joy looks like. And we've had an opportunity to respond in so many different ways. But I do want to share with you some misunderstanding, misconceptions. And at Hidden Christmas, our goal and our purpose is to talk about a message that gets lost in distraction. It's the message that ends up being overtaken by our busyness, by all the things we've got to accomplish for the Christmas season, by all of our giving and all of our receiving. There is a deeper meaning to Christmas. I find it interesting, even though there are some religious roots to uh, the personage of Santa Claus. Today, Santa Claus does not represent at all 
uh, any religious background, even though there is an old history um, that it did come from. But I find it interesting that now there are boycotts against Santa Claus going on around the country, that not only should we not see a manger, we should not see Santa Claus because of the religious significance of that figure. And that breaks my heart because if that is what the world sees as, an, as a demonstration of faith in Christ, then we have failed. If Santa Claus is the best we can do, and it is the most heinous thing that the world apart from Christ can, can fight against, then, oh my word, have they missed the true message of Christmas. Uh, as I shared last week, I'm not concerned about which businesses are saying Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, and I don't care what's on a Starbucks cup. Because my Savior is not dependent upon corporate businesses pushing my faith for me. That is a responsibility I have between me and my God and you have with your God. And so uh, as we come through the the idea of joy, uh, joy is so misunderstood for many of us. And quite honestly, I do believe the idea of joy is a reason that people walk away from the church. That is because so many of us are in difficult circumstances, and when we hear sermons on joy that says, if you know Jesus Christ, then you will live eternally in joy. And we misunderstand what joy is, and so we think joy means happiness. And if joy means that I'm always happy, and if I know Jesus, that means that I'm always happy, then I must not know Jesus, or Jesus must not be real, because I don't feel happy right now. And so people walk away thinking that somehow joy and happiness are related, but joy and happiness are not the same thing. They're both feelings. They're both emotions. They are things that we have no control over. You cannot decide, I am in this line trying to check out, and the cash register has broken down for the third time. I do not feel happy. Or something that's more important. My best friend has just gotten sick and they don't know if he or she is going to get well again. You cannot decide in this moment, I'm going to feel happy. And a Christian cannot in that moment decide, I'm going to be joyful about your cancer. I'm going to be joyful that I just lost my job at Christmas. I'm going to be joyful that we have seen so many atrocities going on around the world, but I'm okay. So I'm just going to feel happy about everything. That is not the way joy works, but it's a misunderstanding that many of us have that somehow if I'm a good Christian, I will always feel happy. I will always feel joy. And the reality is that says within our minds that somehow you cannot at the same time have competing emotions. You cannot at one moment feel absolute joy and also feel absolute suffering. You cannot in one moment feel happy even though you're feeling disappointed. That in one moment you can't feel fear and yet at the same moment feel some sense of confidence. You know, we are complex people put together by a complex God who fashioned us after his image and he created us with the ability to have complex complex emotions, things that we don't have control over, yet we can experience them in so many different ways. And so as we go through this, as we talk about what it means to have joy, I want to share with you just a few things about what I think it means to have joy. And then if you don't have it, how do you get it? And so I want you to stick with me and I'm going to be through, I've got 20 minutes here. And so I got a lot to cover. So can you listen quickly? All right. You can listen quickly. Then I will talk quickly. Joy. 
I truly believe that joy means that you have to know that Jesus came to the earth for God to be with us. One of my favorite Christmas carols is Joy to the World. The Christmas carol, Joy to the World, is a story of God coming down to be with us. So joy means that we recognize God has put himself in all of his supremacy, has put himself in an earthly body to be with us. That brings us joy. Joy means that we know Jesus died so that just as Herman gave a great demonstration of God's grace and mercy and what it looks like to be tender to God's leading, he came and died so we could be restored even when we're broken. That is joy, to know that that is true. It is joy to know that Jesus not only came, but Jesus is coming back. And while I've shared with you, and those of you who have been with us a while know, we don't do a whole lot of traditional elements in our service other than traditional teaching and traditional singing. Our music is not all that traditional. Our language is not all that traditional. Our outreach efforts are not all that traditional. We do a lot of untraditional things, but we do Advent every year because Advent is not just that time to remember Christ was born, but it many of the true historical readings and teachings of the Orthodox Church about Christmas and about Advent were not only about Jesus' birth, but they were about his second return. The fact that he's coming back. So as we light these candles, when we light these candles, we're lighting them recognizing that, yes, he has come, but that is just part of the story because he is coming back. And much of the language around Advent is very apocalyptic, talking about the very end, the end times when there will be a judgment, not just a cute little baby cooing in a manger. But instead, it is a powerful king who is coming back to liberate us. Matthew 24, 36 describes it this way, which is this is a common reading at Advent. It says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For, our, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. This is central to our belief as followers of Jesus that this world, this timeline that we're on, this election season we've been through, the horrors that we see happening around the world, this is a finite time for those things to exist. Because Jesus is coming back and eternally he came so that we can be restored forever with him and all who know him will spend the rest of eternity with him in heaven. And so our joy does not come because of our circumstances, because some of our circumstances aren't all that great right now. Joy comes because we know that God himself has come to prepare a place for us to be with him for all of eternity. In addition, joy is to know that Jesus is in control of my life, and in the end, everything will be okay. It is a truly wonderful place to come in your own faith when you can say things look bad. And not only when they look bad, sometimes things look good. But in the end, God is in control. 
And what, is going, what could possibly be the worst thing that could happen to me? Because I'm going to spend eternity with God regardless. It's an incredible promise that joy provides. Joy is also the ability to worship God's supremacy in all situations. To worship who God is, what he has done for us, and to recognize there is none greater than him. There is no one more powerful than him. And there is no one who loves you and offers you freely his grace and mercy like him. In all situations, joy is the ability that we can worship. But there are certainly times that we struggle with that. I, I know that. If I try to understand what does joy look like in this, ro- this world, I know that joy is rooted in the eternal and not what is temporary. So if you're sitting here today thinking, man, think, but he doesn't know what we're going through. I just say that joy goes far beyond what that thing is for you. Joy is not dependent on your stuff working out the way you had hoped. It is possible that you can have joy when you are suffering because God is supreme and I am eternally redeemed by him for all eternity. It is possible that we can have joy when we are afraid because God is in control and he loves you. It is possible that we can have joy when things don't work out the way we hoped and the way we prayed. Because ultimately, God is supreme and I am not. God is God and I am not. If I have prayed for something to happen over and over and over and it doesn't happen, then I'm okay. I still have joy because it is God who is making these things happen, not me. It is possible because at Christmas, many times we struggle with true loss. It's possible to have joy even in the midst of loss. Many in this room, I, my, I would guess, would love to see again a family member. Many of you would love to see someone that you've loved. Just say it one more time. And so Christmas is, for many, a time of joy and fun and excitement. But for others, it is, it is a very sad time of year. Relationships that fell apart. People that were important and are no longer around. It is possible to have joy even in the midst of loss. Jesus, when he was called to Lazarus' grave, felt loss at the death of Lazarus, and yet he knew he was going to speak his name and bring him back from the dead. It is possible to have joy in the midst of loss. For, for Christians, I think sometimes what we struggle with is that we try to give this idea that somehow I am always happy. God is so good that I'm just always in his blessing. And yet we know sometimes his blessing leads us into some very dark places so we will hone our trust and our faith in him. Despair is often the result in why a lot of people walk around away from faith. Despair is found in hoping for joy outside of God's eternal promises and his plan. So if you are praying right now that God will make your job better. If you are praying right now that God will make your spouse love you more, you love your spouse more. If you are praying right now that somehow your kids are going to work out better or somehow that your life is not going to be as disappointing as you thought or whatever it may be, you're not going to find joy in those things because joy is found in what is eternal, not what is temporary. 
Despair is what happens when we seek after joy in temporary ways. When we take it away from who God is and instead we make it about us. Blaise Pascal, who was a French mathematician, he died in 1662. He became a Christian when he was 31. This is what he said about seeking happiness. He said, all men seek happiness. This is, without exception, whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves, seeking after happiness. And yet often that pursuit leads to despair. Look at our nation. There is no nation on the face of the planet more dedicated to the pursuit of happiness and that we have it even within some of our founding documents. And yet we have so many that struggle with despair, with depression, with wanting to give up, wanting to move away, wanting to just find somewhere this glimmer that there is hope and there is something that can be had. Joy is found not in these things, but joy, if I can just give you one idea today to take with you, is that joy is found in the presence of God alone. There is no way for you to have any of these things if you are not in God's presence. There is no way that you can experience joy in the midst of loss or sorrow or disappointment unless you are in the presence of God. And I don't mean we're singing your favorite song and you just feel goosebumps because you can be in the presence of God at any time. Joy is dependent on him and is not dependent on anything else. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence. John Piper, who's someone I read a lot. I like him. I don't, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't agree with everything he says, but I agree with a whole lot. He says this about joy. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world and in the word or in the, in the word and in the world. Joy is a feeling, an emotion, but we find it in our pursuit of him, not in our pursuit of other stuff. Not in our pursuit of a good living, not in our pursuit of good careers that make us feel good. It is in the pursuit of him and him alone. If you are struggling with joy, let me let you know. If you will pursue him, you will find it. And what is so wonderful is that in our pursuit, God was first pursuing us. So he's not trying to make it difficult. There is joy to be found, but only when we pursue it from him. Matthew 13, 44, I read this last week, the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven, remember that, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He found the kingdom of heaven, which is God. He found it. And that created joy in him so that he was willing to give up everything else in his life to have that thing. That's what it looks like. As we talked about last week, that is what leads us to the ability to love because love is the thing that lasts forever. It is the thing that God always wanted us to wrap our lives 
around. Blaise Pascal, who I just read a few minutes ago, with somewhat of a despairing view of what it means to be happiness. When he was 31, he became a Christian, and it changed his life forever. He wrote on a piece of paper his newfound joy in his life and sewed it inside one of his coats. Someone found it years later. He wrote this. He said, Year of Grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd of November, at the Feast of St. Clement, From about half past ten at night to about half an hour after midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. Certitude, heartfelt joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Joy, 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 tears of joy, Jesus Christ. Because he finally was in the presence of God. This is where we find it. It's not in just dutiful service to the church. It's not in following the rules that are placed down upon us. It's not in being a part of the right religious group. And it's even not a part of you trying to work out your life in all of the ways that you're supposed to live it perfectly and somehow God rewards your efforts with joy. It is found only, only in the presence of God when we are pursuing Him. But not only that, Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Do you realize one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to give you joy? That is the role of the Holy Spirit, to give you joy. We read about it in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, which means these are things that happen by our communing with God through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And one of my favorite ones in there is self-control because I try so hard to have everything under control. Does anybody else do that? But that itself is a gift from the Holy Spirit, which is dependent on us communing with Him. So here's what I want to here's what I want to give you, and I want to go through this kind of quickly. How do we experience true everlasting joy? I say quickly, even though I've been sharing much of this already. In John chapter 15, we have Jesus talking about the true vine. And he describes what does it look like to have joy. So just read through this quickly with me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already, and this is important, you are clean. In other words, he's speaking to people who get it. They've experienced God. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4 is when he begins to pour it on. He says, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. 
We are always meant, once we believe and once we understand and we have experienced God, was not to go to the place of an intellectual understanding of our faith, but instead was to a place of constant abiding in Him and Him abiding in us. It is that relationship that brings life and joy that says, today I get up and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to do stuff I don't want to do and I wish I could just go on vacation forever, but this is what God has for me and so I'm going to go do this, but I do not go alone. Because I go in God and God is with me. He is in me. At work, some of you have very difficult jobs and it requires all your attention all the time. And so when you get off work, you're exhausted. Your brain is just numb and you don't want to do anything. But for many of us, that is not the case. And in those instances, whether at work or whether we're shopping or whatever we're doing, we have the opportunity to be abiding in him, even in the places we may not even want to be. We can abide in him, and he can abide in us. You can talk with him. You can commune with him in a break room. You can commune with him in a bathroom, although, you know, there's better places to do than there. God wants to be with you. This is a constant place in which you become when you truly know Christ. John 15 goes on, it says, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned, which is a terrible reminder that in the end, it doesn't matter what we say or think or the the way we can somehow couch our argument that we truly are following Christ. In the end, he knows whether we are or not. And that is dependent on are we abiding in him and he is in us. There is that place. Verse 7 goes on again. If you abide in me, he's trying to drill this point home. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to me my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, oh, this is so good. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He's not just literally talking about the Ten Commandments. Well, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm good. I'm not trying to steal anybody's wife, so I'm good. But he's talking about what I have shared with you, my words. I have shared with you my heart. I have given it to you for you to know and to follow. And yet, so few Christians spend time within God's word. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, his joy, My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the key to joy. The key to joy is not deciding, I don't like this, but I'm happy. The key to joy is not going down the road and feeling miserable inside and thinking, I'm going to go to hell because I don't feel joy. I'm not abiding in God. So, okay, I'm feeling happy now. What can I think about that makes me happy? That is not joy can't imagine the kind of joy that the disciples must have felt as they were being martyred. Surely they didn't feel happy, but yet they felt joy. It's so wonderful when we unlock these truths that that joy is available to us and that he wants us to have it and that our joy can be full. If we go on to John 15, verse 12, it says, this is my commandment. That if you love one another as I have loved you, 
Greater has no love than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Same passage, talking about abiding in him. It's not just about us going and get a Starbucks and going out into the park and going, oh, Jesus, you're wonderful. Instead, it is about us living out the truth of what he says, what he teaches, because that changes us. Literally, if we could experience and abide with him with a Starbucks out in the park, there would be no need for God's word. And there would be no need for 90% of the rest of the teaching in scripture. Because that means it's, it's within us. We can do it on our own and we cannot. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit to overcome yours and my frailties. No longer do I call you servants For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you. that You should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Just to give you a heads up, if you stop there, it's a great passage just to stop and to meditate on. But if you continue on, you will find that joy will put you at odds with the world that is desperately, desperately seeking it, but has refused to acknowledge that it only comes from Christ. When you find it, the world will hate you for it because they're looking for it everywhere else. And it's just out of grasp, but it was built within them to seek this type of experience. And when you find it in God, they will hate you. And this is what he says in that very next verse, 18. If the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is an uncomfortable reality about joy because it is so tied to the sovereignty of God. It is so tied to the presence of God that the world hates it because they want to deny God's existence. We cannot deny that existence. So here's what I want to leave you with. What do you need to bring the Lordship of Christ into your life? What do you need to bring Is it your worship? Do we come to worship with the expectation, I'm going to be blessed? And if we're not, I'm going somewhere else that their worship blesses me. Do we need to bring worship under God's lordship to say, we are here to worship you. The Savior, our sustainer, our creator, you are above all other things. Are our words based on, ooh, I love that song. Or do we sing them with passion because, oh, I love that God. I know this seems a little, oh, yeah, he's getting into preacher talk. But this is the heart of one who abides with him. Oh, God, I cannot cease to sing of your goodness. Do we need to bring our worship to him? Do we need to bring our time to him? I'm busy. You're busy. We're all busy. Are we too busy? Is it time to bring our time under his control? If you're thinking, oh, but there's nothing I can cut out, believe me, I know the feeling. My wife and I, we have struggled with this from the time that we started Journey. With two full-time jobs, with four kids in the house, with all the other things that are going on. Yes, we know. But there's something to be had when you 
align yourself into what God wants for you that replaces what all this busyness that we have tried to find meaning in? Do we need to bring our time under his lordship, our priorities under his lordship? Do we need to come to the place of saying you are most important? Maybe those aren't the things for you. You're willing to work on those things, but other things are more of a struggle. What about our tempers? Do we need to bring our tempers under his lordship? This is a good time of year to do that, by the way. I would like to wear a shirt that says that. Get your temper under control, you know, when I go out shopping. What about our finances? Do we need to bring our finances under God's lordship? What about your grace or worse, your lack thereof? Does it need to come under God's lordship? But you don't know what they've done to me. But if we're really honest about what we have done to God and the grace he has given us in spite of that, What about our addictions? And I don't just mean to drugs or alcohol. What about our addictions to entertainment? What about our addictions to our self-glory? What about our addictions for us to win at all costs? What about our addictions to get somebody to tell us we're valuable and good and we've done something right? We're addicted to so many different things. Do we need to bring that under the lordship of Christ? And what about those hidden secrets that you're working so hard right now to hide? I know you've got them because I'm in the same place as you. There are times we just don't want people to know what's really going on inside of us, and yet we have to bring those under the lordship of Christ. I so appreciate what Herman shared this morning. That is so difficult in many of our churches to share, yet I'm glad at Journey we can. I would say that of all of the things that they have struggled with, the things that brought them together were their humility, was their ability to love, and their tenderness towards God's movement in their hearts. It can happen to anyone, and yet I I counsel people and things fall apart. The success stories are always because you are tender to the move of God within your heart, and you are tender within your heart to each other. Anything can be overcome. Anything. There is no mystery in living joy. There really isn't. There's no mystery in this. It's only found in God. We are going to miss it when we live our our lives apart from Him and His Word. When we deny the power of prayer and the need for God's Word, and then we question why we feel no joy, then we're ignoring where true joy comes from. When we seek every other possible distraction to bring us some level of happiness to mask the absence of joy in our life, that joy has been with God and is waiting for you to fully experience it right now. I want to leave you with one verse, Psalm 33, or two verses. I'm going to read this out of the message because I love the way it's worded. If you are a person that is struggling right now with this aspect of your life, if you're thinking about all the things you've got to cover in the next couple of weeks, if you're worried about whatever is going on, can I just leave this with you as you seek for joy, as my prayer that you would experience and your joy would be found full through Jesus Christ. Psalm 33, 20 through 22 says, we're depending on God. He's everything we need. What's more, our hearts brim with joy since we've taken for our own his holy name. Love us, God, with all you've got. That's what we're depending on.
And so that's what I want to leave with you. We are going to sing one more song. And I want you to know that if today you are struggling with feeling this type of joy in your life, it is simply a prayer away. Seek him. Pursue him. Put everything else subservient to him. Make him the center of your attention. And even in your frailties and even in your brokenness and even in your faults, that's where he is and his joy will be found because it is the greatest gift he offers us apart from salvation in Christ, the ability to be joyful no matter what else is going on. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that we have experienced this type of joy through you. I thank you for the incredible gift we have through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and your power to raise him from the dead so that we could be saved. Father, I pray for those in this room that right now they are struggling. They're struggling with their brokenness and faults. They're struggling with the the realization that life is not turning out the way they always hoped. And their happiness seems to be tanking right now. Father, I pray that they would find something better than that. I pray that you would help us to seek you and to see you. Father, I pray that as we go out from here in this place, that we won't wait until next Sunday to think about these things again, but instead we will put them in practice I pray that we will see you when we are at work and when we are at home. I pray that when we are with those who are suffering, we will see your sovereignty and spread your grace. I pray that when we go to work and all our coworkers are getting on our last nerve, that you would give us the grace to show them because we're not dependent on them being happy for us to be happy. Father, I pray that when we are in the pit of despair, that we will not stay there. Because even in that place, you are there with us. I pray that you would help us to abide in you, that you would abide in us. Let us be motivated to abide in your words, that we would follow your commandments. Father, let us walk in your path, because it does lead to joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.